0: Hi guys. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm a second year studying maths and data science. Um, I'm going to do the reading, which is First Corinthians uh, chapter one verses one to seventeen. You can find that inside your booklets. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sothenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be His holy people. Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be empties of his power.
1: Well, I've got a friend who once got invited to join a committee, and quite an important committee in the denomination of his church. And uh, he didn't really know who was on the committee, but he thought this sounded like an important thing to do. And he turned up to the first meeting, walked into the room, and discovered that these were all people that he just knew from everyday life. And the chairman looked at him and he said, Ah, John, Welcome. You finally made it and you discovered that it's just us. <laughs> well, welcome to UWA. You finally made it and you discovered that it's just us. <laughs> when I first came to UWA, uh, I'd just seen the movie The Dead Poets Society. And uh, I don't know who's seen The Dead Poets Society? Yeah, a few people. Great. It uh, stars the late, great Robin Williams as a teacher at an exclusive American private school. And he inspires these boys to form a secret society for reading poetry. It sounds kind of lame when you put it like that. But I thought it was cool. And in my heart of hearts, I really hoped that UWA would be kind of like that. Sort of secretive, classy, elite... Uh, It sort of appealed to my sense of adventure, uh, but also, I think, to my sense of inadequacy. You know, I'd never been the cool kid at school. I was just sort of middle of the road academically, middle of the road sportingly, middle of the road socially. And the idea of being part of the in-crowd, the cool kids, was really exciting. And then I got to UWA and discovered it was none of those things. It's not really elite, (laughs) It's not really classy and it's not really secret either. I've looked around UWA, I've been here for years and I've never been invited to a secret society which I assume means they don't exist because otherwise why haven't I been invited to one? (laughs) I'm classy, I could be elite. But it does kind of raise the question of where you fit at uni. Because when you were at school, you may well have been the smartest kid at school. You may well have been the sportiest. You may have been the most popular. But you were a big fish in a little pool. And now you get here, and you discover you're in the ocean. And there are lots more beautiful fish in the sea than you are. There are lots more intelligent ones, lots more capable ones. And you think, well, who am I? Where do I fit in? Uh, to quote the guy from The Incredibles, uh, if everyone's super, then no one is. But take heart, because if you're a Christian, if you're trusting in Jesus, then you are actually part of a special group. Uh, come and have a look with me at the passage that Tim read for us before. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Paul describes the Corinthians as sanctified, uh, and sanctified just means made holy, and made holy just means set apart. So when I turned 21, my grandmother uh, bought me a gift. She gave me a gift of cutlery. It's the sort of present that grandmas give you on your 21st. And it's the holy cutlery in our house. It's, it's special. It all matches. So if you come over to our house for dinner, then uh, unless you're very special, then you'll just get the normal cutlery. You'll get all the forks and knives that don't actually match and there's no real set to them, and that's it. And you'll get it, and you'll like it, and that's the way it goes. But if you are a really special person, then you get the holy cutlery. The cutlery that has been set apart for the special people. In fact, so special (laughs) that I don't think we've ever actually used it. We've never had anyone that special (laughs) over. But that is the holy cutlery. It's been set apart. For special use. And if you're a Christian, well then you are kind of the special cutlery of the Lord Jesus. You are special. You are one of God's people. You've been set apart in Christ Jesus. Set apart for God's use. And that really is special. That's not set apart for the special use of Ben. That's nothing very special. It's set apart for the special use of God. Have a look there in verses 4 to 9. See how Paul describes the Corinthian Christians. He says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who's called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is pretty big statements, aren't they? Enriched in every way, not lacking any spiritual gift, blameless on the day that Jesus returns. Called into fellowship with the son of God himself. Uh, over semester at these public meetings. We're going to unpack some of what that means. But at the moment, you just need to get that this is huge. This is an extraordinary privilege. This is what God thinks about you, if you trust in Jesus. This is written to the Corinthian church, but it's not just about the Corinthians. It's actually about all Christians. How do you know that? How can you tell that it's not just about the Corinthians? Well, because when you read it through, you discover that it's got nothing to do with the Corinthians in particular at all. It's got nothing to do with their achievements, nothing to do with their abilities. We're naturally sort of suspicious of people who think that they are special because we suspect, usually rightly, that people who think that they are special are actually just up themselves. They're up themselves and they're looking down on us. But notice here that all the stuff that Paul says about the Corinthians, none of it is about their particular abilities or their achievements. It's nothing about it. Zip, nada, zilch. It's all about what God has done for them in His grace. You can see it there, can't you? His grace given you in Christ Jesus. In him you have been enriched in every way. He will keep you firm to the end. God is faithful. In Christ you are special. And at the same time you've got absolutely nothing to boast about. Nothing to be proud of. You can't look down on anyone because none of it is about your own achievements. It's all about what God has done for you. And because it's all about what God has done for us, it actually unites us. See, when things are about your achievement, it actually divides, doesn't it? It's all competitive. People are trying to prove that they're better than others. And when they feel like they're better than others, they look down on the people around them. But when it's not about your achievements, it's all about what God has done for you, it unites us. So you look around the room, you see that we've got people here from Australia, from Africa, from North America, South America, Asia, Europe, male and female, with all sorts of different families and all sorts of different backgrounds. Some rich, some poor, some have come from Christian families, some not. But all those who trust in Jesus are one in Jesus, says Paul, because God has set us apart. And not simply as individuals, but set us apart as a people, to be his people. We are united in Christ, and it's actually a really beautiful thing. It's what the world longs for, is to see that unity, but a unity that comes without privilege and without arrogance, without pride. And yet, for some reason... Rather than celebrating our unity, we often find it really easy to just sort of dissolve into disagreements, to divide, to reject the unity that we have in Christ. And you actually see that happening right there in the church in Corinth, uh, if you look at verse 10. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I appeal to you that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. The word that Paul uses for divisions there is the Greek word schismata, and it's the kind of word that you use for um, factions in a political party. So it's kind of the word you would use for saying, I follow Malcolm Turnbull. No, I follow Tony Abbott, if you're a Liberal Party member. Or in the Labour Party, uh, I follow Anthony Albanese, or I follow Bill Shorten. Or I'm from the Victorian left or the New South Wales right. Or in the Greens, I follow Lee Rhiannon or I follow Richard Di Natale. It's those sort of factions. And often they sort of present as about ideological issues or, in Christian circles, theological ones. But often they're really just about personal preference and who made me feel good and who can give me the most power and what will make me look impressive to others. And that's what's happening in the church in Corinth. And it's causing all sorts of damage. Verse 11, he says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas,' which is the Greek name for the Apostle Peter. Still another, I follow Christ you think, well, what's going on here? Are Peter and Paul and Apollos and Christ actually divided? Well, no. If you look at Paul's letters and Peter's letters, if you look at the gospel accounts of Jesus, if you read about Apollos in Acts, you discover that they're all preaching the same message. They're all preaching the gospel. So what are the Corinthians dividing over? Well, I think it must be style. It's about whose style they most like. And it's a kind of one-upmanship sort of thing as well. Well, yes, it's all very good that you heard the gospel from Fred down the street, but I heard it from Paul, the great apostle. Mm. Oh, Paul. (laughs) Paul's, yeah... Whatever, Paul. I follow Apollos because Apollos is a vastly superior preacher to Paul. He is so eloquent, so persuasive. Paul, Apollos, oh, come on, guys. They didn't even meet Jesus. I came to know him through Peter. Peter, the great apostle who actually lived with Jesus during his life on earth. I'm one of his followers. And then you can imagine the sort of pious group over in the corner that says, Oh, Paul, Apollos, Peter, what are they to me? For I am but a humble follower of Christ, not like the rest of you. (laughs) You've met people like that, haven't you? (laughs) It would be nice to say that that kind of thing didn't happen today, but of course it totally does. Uh, In fact, it's one of the kind of problems that we have at the Christian Union, of people coming from all sorts of different backgrounds, all sorts of uh, different assumptions, expectations, personal preferences. And there's the temptation to divide. I mean, some of you are feeling profoundly uncomfortable right now that we haven't done any singing so far. And you're starting to get the sneaking suspicion. You're looking around for the guitar. Where's the guitar? Is there a keyboard? I'm not... Is this even a Christian meeting? (laughs) Are we really doing this? You're feeling a little uncomfortable. And that's perfectly understandable because that's your background. Uh, I hope you do sing at church. It's not that we don't like singing songs of praise. It's just really hard to do it in a lecture theatre in 40 minutes to get the gear in, to do it well, uh, and to have time for everything else. You're going to discover soon that we're pushed for time just to do the stuff we're already doing. Uh, We want to make it as easy as possible for someone who's not a Christian to actually come in here and not feel totally weirded out by the experience. And we want to send a signal that we're not a replacement church. You should be at a church. You should be singing your praises to God there. That's a wonderful thing to do. And come along to our mid-year conference and you'll get to do heaps of singing uh, with us as well. Others of you, uh, perhaps, are feeling quite uncomfortable, perhaps even subconsciously uncomfortable, that here I am talking about God and Jesus, and I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt. And to do that in your church, that would be profoundly irreverent. You would wonder if I was actually on about Jesus at all, because I should be wearing long pants and a collared shirt. That's the right way to be reverent. Others of you don't particularly like my style of speaking. You think I'm not dynamic enough, I should be walking around more and doing more arm gestures and that kind of thing. Others of you are thinking, this guy's way too jokey. Why doesn't he be more serious? <coughs> Others of you won't have liked the way that Hannah prayed. You, should, you might have thought it should have been longer. You think it should have been more sort of spontaneous. Others of you won't have liked the way that Tim read the Bible. Others of you won't like the way that Lewis introduced us and welcomed us today. Others of you are like, what was with the music at the start? Why have we got like rap music going on at the start? You can blame Sarah for that afterwards. But that's the thing, isn't it? That we're from all sorts of different backgrounds. Uh, All sorts of different personalities. And they're perfectly understandable. But in the end, we realise that those things are actually peripheral. They're not the heart of Christianity. And they're not things that ought to divide us because we're united in Christ. You can see what Paul says in verse 13. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul? Uh, And the answer, in case you're wondering, is no, no, no. And no, Christ is not divided. All who trust in him are united in him. Paul was not crucified for you. Christ was. And it's Christ's name that we're baptised into. It's him we follow, not anyone else, not our particular music leader or our particular pastor or our particular whatever. In fact, Paul is relieved, he says, that he's only baptised a few of the Corinthians. Otherwise, they might be tempted to latch onto him and be boasting about him instead of following Christ. Because Paul knows that who baptised you is totally irrelevant. What matters is that you've been baptised into Christ, that you've put your faith in him. What style of singing you like or how much of it or the style of the speaker or the Bible reader or whatever, they are entirely peripheral issues. Which is not to say that you're wrong to have an opinion about them. Of course you have an opinion. I mean, you're alive. You've got opinions about all sorts of things. You might even be right. (laughs) We could be doing these things better. It's It's not wrong to have preferences about how we do things. It's just that compared to the unity that we have in Christ, they don't really matter that much. They're just peripheral. We are united in Christ and we ought to express that unity. Which is not always easy to do, is it? Because our likes, our dislikes, our personal preferences, they are deeply ingrained in us. They are actually part of who we are. But can we sacrifice them for the sake of unity amongst us from all sorts of different backgrounds? Can we make that kind of sacrifice? I hope so, because if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're following someone who sacrificed his very life to create this unity, to bring these people from all sorts of different backgrounds and opinions and personalities, united together in him. He made the ultimate sacrifice. So I presume we can make some of the little sacrifices And it's even easier to do that once you realise that the power is not in the peripherals. The Corinthians, they're acting like the power is in the peripheral things, like the real power is in which particular preacher you latch on to. But the power is not there. It's not in the style of singing or whether you do it or not. It's not in the style of the speaker. It's not whether the prayers are written out or spontaneous. It's not in the style of the studies in your small group or whether you really click with the people in the group or not. That's not where the power is, although we often act like it is. But Paul says, no, the power is in the cross of Christ. And it's true when you think about it, isn't it? Because you didn't come to faith in Jesus through the style of something. You came to him through the message of the cross. That's what you put your faith in, isn't it? If you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, we're glad to hear. It's good to have you among us. But it's the cross of Christ that saved us. And it's the cross of Christ that is the power to save others too. And it's in looking to the cross and shaping our lives in response to it that God actually changes us by his spirit To be more like his son. His son who gave up everything to unite us in him. That is actually where the power is. Sounds foolish, and we'll look at it more over the coming weeks, but that is where the power is. It's in the message of the cross. Our personal preferences, the peripherals, are not where the power is. They won't change people. Paul says in verse seventeen, to focus on them empties the cross of its power. To focus on wisdom or eloquence or any of those sort of style things actually draws the focus away from the cross of Christ. We start putting our trust in those other things, those peripheral things. If we can just get the the lighting right, or the music right, or the, the style of the Bible studies right, then that'll be the power. That'll be the thing that changes people. But it's not. Only the cross is powerful to save. It's kind of incredible when you think about the Corinthian church. This hodgepodge of people, as we look at them over the next few weeks, we're going to discover that they're a weird bunch. They've got some wacky ideas and some serious problems. But here they are in one of the most significant cities in the ancient world, brought together, united in Christ, To reach the people around them. To bring the good news of the gospel to them. It's an extraordinary thing that God would do something like that. And it's an extraordinary thing that he would bring together people from all sorts of backgrounds. Here at this lecture theatre at UWA. We have the remarkable privilege of being able to work together as God's people on campus. To actually help each other grow in Christ to hold out the message of the cross to the people around us who are dead and dying apart from Jesus. It's an incredible privilege. But it's not about us being elite or a secret society or something. We're a very public society of God's people united in Christ, working together to call others to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I think that's an incredible thing to be able to do. And it's my prayer that we'd be united in doing that this year. Think of the difference that we could make to UWA as a united group of people proclaiming the gospel to the campus around us. That would be an excellent thing. And it's the power of God to save people. you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you... Uh, that you have united all those who put their trust in Christ Jesus. And, Father, we pray that um, as your people here on campus that we would be able to express that unity, that we'd be able to sacrifice uh, our personal preferences because of the unity that we have in Christ and for the sake of bringing more into that unity, into your people. So, Lord, please uh, make us like Christ Jesus. Help us to be patient and generous towards each other and help us to hold out the word of life to those around us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we've got a little bit of time, uh, so you might want to take a couple of seconds just to chat to the person next to you and see if you've got any questions about the passage uh, that we've just looked at or any other general questions and um, we'll take them. Any questions? Don't be shy. Yeah? Um, when do you find out what small groups you're in? Ah, when do you find out what small groups you're in? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so the small groups are organised by timetable. So uh, once we've got all the sheets back, we'll have a look at um, where those, uh, what times will work, and then uh, one of the small group leaders will give you a call and let you know uh, what time it is, where you're meeting, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Hey Ben, so I was just wondering, what's the deal with denominations? (laughs) Uh, Well, (laughs) what's the deal with denominations? Uh, Well denominations sort of usually come about for historical reasons, um, uh, various different ways of doing things. uh, But they don't necessarily have to be things that divide us. They can actually uh, just be groupings of Christians working together for the sake of the gospel. Uh, We've just got to remember that the peripheral things that have often led to the rise of denominations, they're not always peripheral, some of them are central, um, but the central thing is the gospel. So whether I'm Baptist or Anglican or Church of Christ or independent or whatever, um, if we're on board with Jesus, if we want to follow him and we're committed to uh, listening to his word to us, in the scriptures, then I presume we can work together. You know, what sort of historical background we come from shouldn't divide us. We're actually united in Him. All right, that's probably time. I'll hand back to Lewis. Uh, come and grab me afterwards if you want to ask any more questions. Thanks.